If you like to stay up to date with current events, then you'll especially appreciate another podcast I enjoy called The World and Everything in It. It's a daily news program, about 30 minutes long, delivered every weekday morning by Christian journalists from around the world. And they aren't just rehashing the current headlines. They're actually doing investigative, boots-on-the-ground journalism while providing biblical cultural analysis. I started listening to their show about five years ago when we first launched Compelled. And since then, they've become one of my go-to sources for understanding current events from a biblical perspective. But they pull no punches. In fact, they tell the facts just as they are, even when it requires sharing uncomfortable truths. Maybe that's why they're one of Apple Podcasts' top 100 news programs. Join me and thousands of other Christians from around the world who listen to the world and everything in it. Just search for The World and Everything in It in your podcast app or visit WNG.org. Hey, it's Paul here again. Just a quick reminder that today's episode is one of our very first episodes that we recorded and released, and it's before we started using immersive storytelling techniques like sound design and music and narration. Now, of course, the story itself is very powerful and very relevant to today, but if you enjoy those types of elements like sound design and narration and music, then make sure to listen to some of our newer content that we've released as well. And now, on to the show. What happened with me was I, I, I got to the very top of my world. I'm getting ready to start a right guard. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready to make, in today's dollars, about $600,000 in six months. Um, and yet even football was empty. And that's when you know, I got hit in the face. I'm Paul Hastings, and you're listening to Compelled, a seasonal podcast using gripping, immersive storytelling to celebrate the powerful ways God is transforming the lives of Christians around the world. Last week, we heard from Philip Telfer, who as a teenager was planning his suicide when he became afraid that he might end up in hell after killing himself. So he prayed to God, asking for forgiveness ahead of time, and inadvertently opened the doors of his heart to Christ for the very first time. You can hear that story by tuning in to last week's episode with Philip Telfer. But today, I'm excited to share with you the true story of two-time NFL Super Bowl champion, Bruce Colley. Bruce lived what some would call the American dream. He had women, drugs, fame, and every earthly treasure that money could buy. But it all fell apart when he realized that he was spiritually bankrupt and in desperate need of a savior. So lean in and join us for another compelling story from the kingdom of God. Bruce, thanks so much for joining us today. So I'm curious, like your, your background growing up as a kid, did you grow up in a Christian household? Very much so. I grew up in a... Um a household. My dad was raised Methodist. My mom was raised Baptist, and that created a little bit of friction with the uh, doctrinal issues. But uh, they loved Jesus and and raised us that way. I was raised more Baptist than anything, and what I heard growing up <clears throat> from child Baptist camps and retreats was "once saved, always saved." And so I, at thirteen, faithfully said the prayer at the front of the church and got embarrassed, introduced, and then baptized on Wednesday night. So I uh, actually um, thought that that was it. That was all I had to do. Kind of like fire shears from hell kind of thing. Yeah. 
And so I did that and I um, said that prayer <clears throat> and then kind of lived like I wanted to live. And uh, of course, you know, did everything you're, you're not supposed to do, but always rationalized it because I'd already said the prayer. So like when I slept with somebody or got in a fight or did something wrong, um, I would always point to that date and time, date, time, place. Yeah. And uh, the fact that I was saved, um, but never, never knew the Lord. And, and it all, you know, through my process of growing through high school and college, um, full scholarship, All-American, uh, drafted by the Super Bowl champion, San Francisco 49ers. They won the Super Bowl in January of 85, and I was drafted in April with uh, some guy named Jerry Rice. Went to the 49ers, and out of uh, six draft picks, there was a, they only kept two of us, and it was Jerry and me. And, um, and what number pick were you? I was uh, I was fifth round. I was third pick, fifth round. Um, there was a running back from Alabama that was picked in the third round, and he didn't make it. And then we had a sixth, and I think an eighth, and an eleventh, or something. And those guys didn't make it either. Um, but yeah, so the the process of, of going through the making the pros and then playing my first five years and just climbing the ladder, success, um, but living in the world. Um, got stabbed in a parking lot, uh, messing with a guy and his girlfriend, uh, shouldn't have been doing that, but I thought I was some bad dude, uh, which was terrible. Uh, so that I got stitches and all the way, I don't know, about a 10 inch scar on my stomach. I got a beer ball in the face in Arlington, uh, fighting in a bar where a guy took a full Coors glass and hit me in the face with it. And I got, I don't know how many hundreds of stitches, uh, you know, I'd be driving to the hospital with my face open, praying to God. But as soon as they pulled out the stitches, I'm like, live like hell. I got stabbed in the parking lot. I go to the hospital. Oh, God, if you'll just help me with this. I was saying the Lord's Prayer when I was on the gurney. Wow. You know, I thought I was going to die. But as soon as they pull out the stitches, live like hell. Yeah. And uh, if anybody ever asked me if I was a Christian, I would point back to that time, date, and place at 13. And, and uh, boy, I was in. And yet I wasn't living a victorious life, even though I had all the stuff. And I, that's what I compare it to, um, you know, filling a void. You've heard it before, a hole in your heart. Yeah. And yeah. I filled it with everything. And what happened with me was I, I, I got to the very top of my world. I wanted to be a starter. I became a starter. I started in Super Bowl 24 in the Superdome in front of 100,000 people and 600 million viewers or whatever. And, you know, we won. And so... It was after that. It was after that final, most huge thing that you can choose as a football player. You ask him, what would it be? It'd be to win the Super Bowl and be a starter on that team. After that um, is when it all kind of came crashing down because I realized that no matter what I attained, a few months later, you know, the, the parties start wearing down. And, and, and the, the funny thing about the NFL is there's a saying, what have you done for me lately? You win the Super Bowl in January, February, and then the parties kind of end around March and April. And guess what? Minicamp starts in May. And then what do you got to do? You go back to training camp. And what do you got to do? You got to do it all over again. Yeah. And that's the same thing in life, whether it's a sex or whether it's drugs or whether it's alcohol or whether it's, it's the next high, it's the next victory, uh, you know, a worldly thing. And it never brings life, even though that's what the world says is life. It's not life. Yeah. And so 
I, that all came to, to, um, you know, a head, if you will, in training camp in 1990. And, uh, I'm getting ready to start a right guard, uh, you know, coming back. I still got to fight for my position, but, you know, I'm getting ready to make in today's dollars about $600,000 in six months. Um, and yet even football was empty. And that's when, you know, I got hit in the face because always for 20 something years, football, every fall, every fall, every fall started at YMCA in San Antonio with Angelo Drosis, the owner of the Spurs was my first football coach. Wow. The original owner. And so football was always there. And yet in 1990 in August or actually July when we started, um, football was empty. So that, um, that ended up making me really reflect and, it was interesting because I went back to a dorm room in the morning after morning practice and I picked up a landline. We didn't have cell phones back then. We had car phones. Um, I had one in my car, but I was actually in the dorm room and I called my mom back in San Antonio and I told her, I said, mom, I'm going to quit the 49ers and come home. And this is after winning the Super Bowl. This twice. is 1990 after winning the Super Bowl twice, get ready to make $600,000 in the next six months. All I got to do is, or actually four months, all I got to do is play football. And yet, I called her and I said, I said, I'm going to quit the 49ers and come home. And, you know, it's really interesting. My mom loved Jesus. She was a real live, live it Christian. Um, I used to, when I, my mom and dad would come out, you know, of course they were remarried back then. And, um, I'd pick them up in limos. They got treated like royalty. They'd sit in the, the press box with Eddie DeBartolo, you know, they'd ride up the elevator with him. Yeah. Um, so my mom had a, had a real reason for me to want to keep playing and, and yet she didn't miss a beat when I said, Mom, I'm going to quit. She just said to me, Son, what are you going to do with your life? And it, I, at that moment is the first moment I ever realized that I had all the stuff, but I had no life. Hmm. And then her next question was, do you have a Bible? Wow. And I remember my jaw hitting the floor. And it's like this little voice inside my head was saying, you know, you've been saying you know me you've been saying you've been a, a a child of mine since you were 13 but you've never read the bible and so words were spoken and she said well do you have that backpack you came home with this summer and over on the floor was a, a backpack that i had gone home with and my mom was always giving me tapes she was always giving me these little cassette tapes back then right with yeah. sermons on them yeah. or music on them and uh so <laughs> i just had this vision of in my truck, I'd be in the driveway going back to college and my mom would run out with a new tape and I would take it. Cause if I didn't take it, she'd get mad at me. You yeah. Know? So I take it and I'm opening up my glove compartment and there's like a 50 of those things in there. <laughs> <laughs> and like when I closed it, it would crunch because there's so many of them I had never listened to. I would oh, take man. it, but I would never listen to them. Well, she said, son, do you have that backpack? I said, yes, I do. She goes, well, check the outside zipper. And like walk over there, I unzipped it. And inside was this little red leather psalm book. And I came back to the phone, I opened up the front cover, and in my mom's handwriting on the inside, it said to Bruce, I love you, mom, Sher Hills Baptist Church, 1967. She had given me that book when I was five years old. Oh man. And it's the first time I ever opened it. Oh, I want to tell you something. I was teed up. God God had the driver. <laughs> he whacked me so hard. I mean, I was a 300 and what, five pounds, six, six. I'm babbling like a little baby with my mom on the phone. I think she prayed for me. And uh, she said, read it. 
and I, that's the first and I hung up the phone it's the first time I ever like read the scriptures and that Psalm 1 I've got written on my heart today and I, I just could I, I was it was me I was the one you know who was the wicked in that psalm I was the one who was oh man you know all that all that came crashing down well they uh we had a we had a game that weekend and they flew out I started in a preseason game and um she brought me a bible my very first bible and it was a, a new american standard and man I, I i didn't i couldn't stop reading it um when i got to matthew chapter 7 where jesus talks about on judgment day many are going to say to me lord lord did i not prophesy in your name did i not do miracles in your name yeah cast out demons in your name and yet jesus is going to look at them and say Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never knew you. That was going to be me. Yeah. So that that's what I, you know, ended up being able to tell those guys. And have you been able to share the gospel with many of your teammates over the years? I have. You know, it's, it's been really amazing. Um, you know, it's it's um, one of our family models is from Saint Francis of Assisi. It's preached the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And you know, the guys that I played with my first five years, um, they saw the Bruce Colley that was with the strippers, that was beer bottles in the face, the, the, the party guy, the guy that, you know, flew strippers to the, the Super Bowl for crying out loud. You know, stupid, crazy, crazy, crazy times. Mm. And then they saw the change, a, a severe change. Um, just like you read in the scriptures, you know, Paul... Saul of Tarsus, and he's riding a donkey and gets knocked off the donkey, and all of a sudden, wham. A couple of years ago, my wife and I discovered a new subscription series of beautifully illustrated books for our kids called Brave Books. It's about a group of animals that live on Freedom Island and have adventures that teach them timeless truths about important topics, but at a level that's appropriate for children. The first book that we read in the series was Elephants Are Not Birds. It's about Kevin, a happy-go-lucky elephant who loves to sing. But then one day, Culture the Vulture comes to him and tells him that Kevin can actually be any animal that he identifies as, including a bird. But of course, by the end of the book, Kevin realizes that he is not a bird. And in fact, God has beautifully created him to be exactly who he is, an elephant with special giftings and talents that are unique to him. Every book teaches an important lesson at an age-appropriate level, like humility, kindness, and more. Each book is written by a different author, including Missy Robertson, Kirk Cameron, and Kevin Sorbo. And if you have a child or grandchild from age 4 to 10, then these books would be a great addition for your family. And I'm not kidding. We have over 20 of these books in our home, and literally, a day does not go by when I don't see at least one of my kids reading their brave books. Check it out and get the newest book for free at bravebooks.com. And Compelled listeners can get 20% off any additional books you order using the promo code COMPELLED. Again, that's bravebooks.com, promo code COMPELLED. Summer is here, and so is the chance to take a breather from school. And there's a decent chance that the subject your student is most excited to take a break from is math. But it doesn't have to be that way, especially if you're using CTC Math. Their focus is helping your student learn at the pace that's best for them. Every lesson is fully online with interactive questions and clear explanations. 
and their video tutorials take difficult concepts and break them down into digestible ideas. But here's the crazy part. They have a 12-month money-back guarantee. That's right, you can use CTC Math for an entire year. And if you don't like it, or it didn't work out for you, or if you're just unethical, which as a compelled listener, I hope you're not, then you just shoot them an email and tell them that you'd like your money back, and they'll gladly refund your entire purchase, no questions asked. There is literally no risk for an entire year. You can't beat that. Because their heart is to serve your family. That's why they sponsor Compel, so that we can continue creating stories that will bless and encourage your family. And they want to do the same for your students' math needs. So whether summer is a time for your student to catch up, keep up, or move ahead, CTC Math is there. Learn more at ctcmath.com. Again, that's ctcmath.com. Yeah, so, so what was the Saul of Tarsus moment for you then? Two weeks later, the 49ers fired me and shipped me off to the Philadelphia Eagles. They fired, they, they traded they, they, you off, Well, basically. no, they actually waived me, which means you go on a wire, and then all the other teams ha- can claim you under your old contract. Well, yeah. the Eagles, who we had played the season before and uh, beat them in the fourth quarter, they, you know, they knew who I was, so they claimed me. And I had to get on an airplane and the walk of shame where you walk through the locker room, you know, and uh, it's terrible. Oh, man. And, uh, it's like God was just hammering me <laughs> with, uh, you know, here, I, I'm all you got, buddy. And so wow. I'm, I'm on this airplane reading my Bible. I get to Philadelphia. You know, when I got to the 49ers, they picked me up in a limo. Jerry Rice and I got were together at baggage claim. We rode in together. We had a press conference together. I mean, there's pictures all over the internet of me and Jerry standing there holding our jerseys. And so they treat us like royalty. When I got fired, I got picked up at the Philadelphia airport by the baggage, you know, the equipment manager in a 72 <laughs> Impala. And of course, it's the first week of September. It's like 100 degrees. Oh, man. And uh, there's a sewer plant right by the Philadelphia airport. Oh, in the classic. And, dude, it had the guy had no AC. And we're driving on the Highway 95 <gasps> and the sewer smell and the sweat. And I'm thinking, all I got is you, Lord, you know. And, yeah. And, um, so I get to the locker room and I walk in and there's a guy named Matt Darwin who was an offensive lineman at A&M and he was an offensive lineman for the Eagles and he was sitting in front of his locker reading his Bible at 7.30 in the morning. We hit it off te- from Texas. I mean, great guy. A few minutes later, Reggie White comes walking in, sees the Bibles. We're talking about Jesus and I, I, I really don't even know what to say. They, I mean, I th- they think I'm some Christian. I'm like two weeks out of the box. And Reggie kind of took me under his wing and did a lot of discipleship with me. And in the sauna, so we'd sit there and sweat and make weight. We'd be talking about, you know, I told him about I was looking for a wife now because I was done with sleeping around. I was done done with the strippers, done with the drugs. Started doing street ministry with Reggie White on Fridays. We'd buy pizzas and hand them out, and he'd preach. Wow. And, um, and through that process, I met my wife, Holly. It was a blind date kind of a thing, and and we were told about each other, and and uh, so, um, yeah. So we we met, and then uh, within six weeks we were engaged, and within four weeks we were married. Oh wow! And I brought her back to Texas, and uh, that all happened here, right about twelve miles from here at Canyon Lake. We got married. That's amazing. And where where was Holly spiritually when you met her? You know, her testimony, if you will, was very similar to mine in that she was raised by great parents raised with, you know, great morals, but she bought into the world stuff, sex, you know, she was a victim of abortion. I mean, she's, oh, wow. she's got her own testimony. 
And it's really interesting because uh, one of the first things I invited her to do um, after we had gone out to eat at Fuddruckers, of course, a Texas company, I had to get a burger at <laughs> Good idea. Went there. And, uh, and then uh, that Friday, I think, uh, that was the first time that she had ever gone out in the streets and do ministry. Uh, Reggie and I, we had a half days. And so I made a deal with a guy that, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 pizzas. I can't remember how many pizzas, but I had a big truck so I could put them in the back. Yeah. And um, we, I would, Holly and I were handing out slices of pizza. And so she got to see faith in action instead of just with words, you know. And um, so one day uh, I actually uh, had to go to a meeting or something at the stadium and I had my truck. And so she dropped me off. I said, you know, it was a couple hours, three hours later, come pick me up. And so she went driving around and I had those cassette tapes from my mom. Yeah. But I finally started pulling out. And one of them was like the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And and then she put in another one and it was Stephen Curtis Chapman. Yeah. And it was a song called I Will Be Here. And um, so somewhere in the middle of that song, she had to pull over on the side of the road and the Lord just you know, teeter up like that and whack. And she had to repent and receive him again right there, whatever, or, or the first time. And she told me afterwards, you know, that that had happened. And That's so we kind of started together, you know, I was a couple months ahead of her, but we grew in faith together. And, uh, it's been that way for, like I said, 27 years. That's incredible. And that's amazing that your mom's cassette tapes, you know, that she was passing to you and that you had just kind of disregarded for so long, ended up playing an instrumental role in the Holly's conversion. That's and that would be a message I would send out to every mom, dad, granddad, grandma, aunt, you know, uncle, uh, sister, brother, never, never, never give up, never quit. You're, you're putting seeds in the ground, you're watering, you're fertilizing, you're doing something. Yeah. Don't ever quit. That is so true. Let's pick back up after you guys got married. Uh, and at this point, you're still living in Philadelphia. You're playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Tell us what happened next. Well, in 91 um, uh, was my second season. I was starting guard. And then we had some trouble in the offensive line. So they moved me to starting left guard, even though I hadn't played in left guard in all five preseason games, which was crazy. And it was it, the left side was really awkward for me. So my play wasn't the greatest, but um, ended up getting hurt um, against Tampa Bay, tore my medial collateral ligament Ouch. and sat out for the rest of the season. And then the Philadelphia Eagles made a bunch of changes and uh, they, they waved me at that spring. And Holly and I were thinking, uh, what are we going to do? So we stayed at our house in San Antonio. And then I got a call from the 49ers to come back, and uh, which was really a blessing because Holly got to be a 49er wife. And I was actually playing again. I was in the locker room. She got to go to the game and sit with the wives, and she got to experience all of that, even for just a few weeks. Yeah. And then um, Bob McKittrick, our offensive line coach, asked me if I wanted to come back and, and keep playing. And I was done. I mean, I really was. I and, and, and Holly and I prayed about it, and and we were ready to start our family. We were ready, you know, because because the whole birth control thing was something that we had gone through when we got married. And a, and a former player for the Eagles by the name of Jack Klotz, hmm. um, big bigger than me. I mean, he was like three thirty at that time. I mean, he's probably six four, big guy. Yeah. Um, he he comes up to me and he's I mean he's a big guy and he's got tears running down his face. He's like, "Can you Holly come to my office?" And I'm like, "Sure." You know, 
So Holly and I went in there and we sat down and he gets behind his desk and he pulls out a piece of paper and he's like, I've been up all night. God's just hammering me and I'm supposed to give you this. And, you know, we'd only been married since uh, February and this is uh, like August. And uh, he hands us this piece of paper and um, it's the title of the paper was Why Are Christians on Birth Control? Basically went through and talked about what God says about children in the Bible and what society says about children. And of course, we've lived it now, yeah. you know, having so many children, but it's true. You know, people go, don't you have TV? Uh, don't you know what causes that? Oh, do you ever let her out of the bedroom? You know, it's all yeah. that crazy stuff instead of, wow, what a blessing. Wow, yeah. what a treasure. Wow, what a, you know. And so that's what we're living right today is those choices that we made at that time. And we threw birth control away that night. Like the next morning, it was like the guy was listening to our pillow talk because we had been talking about birth control for at least six weeks before that. Yeah. And within a couple months, we were pregnant. Yeah. It was like, yeah. Yeah. And um, three and a half months in, we lose it. Oh, man. Yeah. First miscarriage. And I will never forget. I was in the operating room when they did that DNC thing, whatever they call it. And um, after that, I was done. And I went in the recovery room. Holly was waking up from the anesthesia. And uh, she was real groggy, and I couldn't wait to tell her, "Hey, we're, I'm not going through that again, babe. We're get, we're getting back on this pill thing until we figure this thing out." And she she sat up, she took my face in her hands, and she said, "Bruce, let's don't give up on God." Mm. And I was like, "Wow, I'm not the one laying there had to go through that procedure, and here she is telling me not to give up on God." And so we prayed about it, and that's it. We never ever looked at it again. Mom. And we just said, Lord, give us what we're supposed to have. And so we read Psalm 127 over every baby and talk about children or gift and reward. Yeah. Yeah. So she got to be a 49er wife in, the, in 92. That was the end of the season, uh, January of 93, beat by the Cowboys, came back to Texas, got in the hunt for some land. Wow. That is, that's really big. I mean, you know, football had been part of your life for, like you said, you know, 20 plus years. Picture yourself living in another country, surrounded by their culture, cuisine, languages, and people. Now imagine yourself teaching English to students from that country, maybe in high school or maybe in college. But you're not just teaching, you're forging connections, building relationships, and making a lifelong impact on your students. And the best part? You're doing it all within a supportive Christian community. Well, this isn't just a dream. It can actually be your reality with ELIC. For 40 years, ELIC has been passionate about reaching the unreached, sending dedicated teams to countries like Morocco, Turkey, China, Vietnam, and more. Whether you're single or married, raising a family or retired, ELIC has opportunities for everyone. From short-term adventures lasting 10 days up to six weeks to immersive experiences spanning a year or more, ELIC provides a chance to step out of your comfort zone and make a lasting impact. And if you don't have teaching experience, hey, no problem. ELIC offers all the training that you need to succeed in the classroom. Plus, you'll be supported every step of the way with comprehensive benefits like insurance, retirement plans, and professional development. In fact, you can even earn your master's degree with them while teaching overseas. If you have a heart for the unreached and want to make a global impact through education, then visit elic.org to begin exploring the possibilities. 
Again, that's elic.org. Hey parents, let's talk about homeschooling because who knows what God has in store for your family. So let's make sure that you're prepared. Classical Conversations is homeschooling made doable. Since 1997, they've been equipping families worldwide with the resources and confidence to teach their children at home. And the best news is you don't have to do it alone. They'll connect you with a local community of other families not teaching their children what to learn, but how to learn. And when you're part of Classical Conversations, you belong to a vibrant, extended family, all walking the homeschool journey together. And I've seen this firsthand. Several families at my church are part of a local Classical Conversations group. And not only do they meet once a week for their regular education-focused meeting, they also get together socially for camping trips, summer book clubs, and their Young Entrepreneurs Market Day. But don't take my word for it. Learn more for yourself by downloading the ultimate guide to homeschooling at classicalconversations.com slash compelled. You can homeschool, they can help. Again, that's classicalconversations.com slash compelled. So what'd you do after leaving the NFL? My passion was to to fly for a living, maybe work for Southwest Airlines. As an airline pilot? As an airline pilot. Commercial? Yep. I was getting all my ratings and um, training in the airplane, instrument, multi-engine. I was going for the ATP. I already had my commercial. Um, But I needed a, I always had a dream to have a runway on my place, you know, like have a hangar. Yeah. Where I come out of the house, go in the hangar, get in the airplane and go. And so we made that happen here in Wembley. We found a piece of land around the river put an airport in. It was called Restoration Ranch, still on the VFR maps. Um, 3,000 feet long, 100 feet wide, put a hanger up and started having babies. And uh, first baby in 93, second in 94, third in 95, fourth in 96, fifth in 97, <laughs> sixth wow. in 98. We had, yeah, our, our first, uh, we had our third child before the oldest turned two. So how many kids do you have now? 13. 13. And what's their spread of years? Uh, 25 to 9. 13 kids in 16 years. That is crazy. Okay, so let's get back to the story then. So uh, did you then pursue commercial flying like you were planning? I did. um, But as that started to come to fruition, I started to research more what that took. And at the time, we were having a child a year. Did uh, heavy equipment excavation work for uh, about 10, 11, 12 years. Wow. And Dennis DeBoer, my superintendent for five, six years in my construction company, was living on our ranch. And he was my right-hand man, like a brother I never had. And um, uh, in May, uh, we're working at a job site up at the development that we own up at the junction of two highways here in Wembley. And... um, it's 7 o'clock in the morning, it's 7.15, it's 7.30. I'm waiting for Dennis because we slept in the bus up there. Dennis doesn't show up. So I drove down here to the ranch, and I went in his front door, and he was dead on the floor. 39 years old, died of a brain aneurysm. Oh, wow. And um, <clears throat> it knocked the wind out of my sails. And I, I just looked at Holly probably two months after he passed. He passed May 3rd. And um, I said, uh, I'm done. I'm done. I want to sell it all. I said, let's, um, this is not what I want to do. And at that time, Bill Glass, 
uh, it was called Champions for Life back then. They were looking for a new director, and I was in the running for that. And it's a it's a great ministry that uh, is based out of Dallas, and the, the it's a little bit of a different ministry in that <clears throat> it's everybody thinks it's about the inmates. Everybody thinks it's about the uh, platform guests or the guys like me that have Super Bowl rings or the baseball guys or the soccer guys. We've got Tina Walinda from the Flying Walinda family circus act that he'll put up a high wire in the yard. I mean, we've got the Creviers who do basketball half times at NBA shows. They spend 12 basketballs, 20 basketballs, 30 oh, basketballs. They put on a show and, and everybody thinks it's all about that. It's not. It's what it's really about is about the churches in the local area sending their members to actually for the very first time go into a prison and not only that for but for the very first time actually share their faith one-on-one and so you they get trained in that and what's really the most awesome experience is the pep rally we call it afterwards when everybody comes in from being on the yards for six hours and we have a barbecue or you know sandwiches or whatever that night and you pass a microphone around and you got people who are lit up for Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> it's really That's awesome. awesome. So it's, yeah, Bill Glass behind the walls. It's a great ministry. So I made a deal with them to do 25 weekends in 2006. So about November, we had sold everything, backed out of our contracts we had for the construction company. And we loaded up 11 children in our motorhome and took off. And uh, we started, uh, I think, in Dallas with the first weekend with Bill Glass. And we, uh, through that next year, we did uh, 20, 25 or 26 weekends. So I know that one of your kids was born during the time that you were traveling with Bill Glass's ministry. Can you tell us about that? I remember we were, I don't know, three or four months into it when you finally start, you know, telling people that you're pregnant. Yeah. And um, I, I looked at Holly one day and I said, honey, I really want to honor Dennis for what he was in my life. I'd like to name, I think, I think a name, if it's a little boy, it could be Dennison. Dennis's son. Mm. I said, it'll be a part of Dennis. So we go on a, we're on the trip and, uh, it's February, uh, 9th and we're driving along and midnight and things start happening and we're near the hospital. So we pull into the parking lot like three o'clock in the morning and, uh, our second oldest daughter, Jordan, she says, mom, do you know what today is? And I go, well, uh, it's, it's February 10th. Jordan goes, it's Mr. Dennis's birthday. Oh, wow. So we go in the hospital. Things happen pretty quick at like 5.01 a.m. in the morning. I catch a baby. It's a little boy. I say, honey, it's Dennison. And I called Dennis DeBoer's mom in California. I said, we just had a little boy, and we named him Dennison after Dennis, like Dennis's son. She goes, you know, today's this birthday. I, I said, yeah, yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. She goes, what time was the baby born? I said, 501. She goes, Dennis John DeBoer was born at 501. Wow. On this date. It's like two years wow. we had this name. And yet God had a, our son to honor Dennis born the same day at the same time. Wow. Now, wrap your brain around that one. And so I just really give a shout out to, to Christ for that because it really, it really encouraged us. That's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, let's shift over to the present day. Um, I know that eventually you got into the restaurant business, and now today you and your family, y'all own a pizza place called Brewster's Pizza. Can you share with us how that came to be? 
Yeah, Brewster's Pizza just came about because the the economy crashed in 2008, and um, you know we we had a steakhouse and a Mexican food place, and the Mexican food place just takes a the, the amount of labor. You know, it's just a lot of prep. Steakhouse even more. And so we just kind of let those two, we, we rented the Mexican food place out to another couple that, that run it now, changed the name, but they have the same location. And then the uh, steakhouse, we rented to another restaurant that didn't make it. And what we did is we went down to, we actually had a third restaurant, if you believe that. We had a deli. And um, so we stopped the deli and we said, uh, we were traveling up in Dallas, Arlington, where I was, went to college. And we said, um, uh, we were going somewhere. And I said, there was this place, man, that had this pizza. It was called Joey's. And these two guys from Brooklyn, New York. So long story short, it was so good. We would travel 100 miles out of our way, and we'd buy like 14 20-inch pizzas. And we would like just eat them for hundreds wow. and hundreds and hundreds of miles. I mean, you know, pizza lasts two or three days without refrigeration. I don't care what they take. <laughs> so we, <laughs> we would do that, and, and we just loved it. So when we said, you know, we talked to him, and we said, hey, will you teach us how? And uh, I was like, I'm 200, 240 miles away. He goes, okay, that's far enough. <laughs> you know, so we'll teach you. So they taught us how to make pizza, and that's how Brewster started, Brewster's Pizza. The name comes from my nickname. Um, and we started it back in 2008, 2009. Uh, and it's just been an adventure with all the children growing up working there. It's at, uh, um, uh, 9595 Ranch Road 12 in Wimberley. Okay. Well, we'll make sure that our listeners know that that's where they should grab pizza the next time they're in Wimberley, Texas. Uh, as we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners as we close? Any last words of wisdom? A lot of people try to say, well, it's, it's the stab that, you know, and the beer bottle in the face and all this stuff that you went through that made you who you are today. And I say, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says my identity came before the choices I made. It's the identity from Christ that got me through the bad choices that I made and brought me to him because God is after you. God is passionately coming after you. And so I say to everyone out there who's making poor choices, realize that your identity, God wants to tell you who, you're, who what your identity is. He wants to tell you how much you're loved and that the fact that you were known before the foundation of the world and that he knit you in the womb, you know, before you could have done anything, you know, that, that Christ is there and he, he wants you to know that he's got a plan. He wants you to come to him and he wants you to say, all right, it's yours lead the way because yeah. I don't want to be on my deathbed going, wow, look at my portfolio. Look at the Merrill Lynch account. Look at the, I want hundreds of faces. I want 10 grandkids each. I want 130 grandkids. It'll be <laughs> stuffing the room around my deathbed. That's, that's true wealth and that's true life in Christ. Yeah. Well, Bruce, thank you so much for just sitting down here and sharing all of this from your heart. I, I know there's a million other things that you could be doing today, uh, but I just appreciate the time you just taking this to share with us from your life, your testimony, how God has worked through your life and through Holly's life and, and now in your kids' lives. Such an exciting story, and it's like only begun. Amen. So. Thanks, Paul. Wow, what a change God brought about in Bruce's life. You know, his story really underscores the truth that true joy and fulfillment can only be found in Christ. If you'd like to hear our full behind-the-scenes interview with Bruce, which is basically unedited and has way more stories and insights than we could fit into this episode, we're giving that away for free. 
All you gotta do is join our email list and I'll send you the link. Just go to compelledpodcast.com and join our email list. It's really that easy. Again, it's compelledpodcast.com and we'll give you the entire unedited episode. It's awesome. Uh, it's probably about uh, 90 minutes to 100 minutes long. It's, it's a great episode. Our show was edited by Zach Fowler, logo designed by Josiah Jost, and our associate producer is my wife, Sarah Hastings. And that's it for this episode. Stick around after the music for a sneak peek from next week's episode with Juan Sanchez, a faithful Catholic altar boy who felt that Jesus was aloof and distant. But after developing a personal relationship with Christ, he later became president of the Texas Southern Baptist Convention. Quite a spiritual journey. I'm your host, Paul Hastings, and you've been listening to Compelled. We'll be back with another compelling story next Tuesday. And what I learned is that the the love and acceptance we long for is only found in Christ. You know, we are accepted by God, not because of what we do or who we are or where we come from. We're accepted by God on the basis of the work that Christ has done for us. Are you looking for practical parenting advice from a biblical perspective? Would you like to see your children obey and do what's right out of a love for God rather than a fear of punishment? Do you sometimes feel like your kids have trained you more than you've trained them? Well, if you answer yes to any of those, then check out the podcast, Parenting with Ginger Hubbard. Ginger and her husband are friends of mine, and Ginger's the best-selling author of several books, including Don't Make Me Count to Three, Wise Words for Moms, and I Can't Believe You Just Said That. The Parenting with Ginger Hubbard podcast equips parents to reach beyond outward behavior and instead addresses issues of the heart, pointing kids to the transformational power of Christ. Learn how to move past the frustrations of not knowing how to handle issues of disobedience and defiance and into a confident and well-balanced approach to raising your kids. Subscribe to Parenting with Ginger Hubbard wherever you listen to podcasts for weekly encouragement from a biblical perspective. Again, that's Parenting with Ginger Hubbard.